The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey, how you doing, Alex? Good, man. How you doing? How you been? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Yeah, I'm, uh, uh, you know, it's Friday night. I'm home from work. My feet are up. My fat ass is fed. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. The weekend's here and uh, looking forward to chatting to you. I hope you're in a good mood. Yeah, I'm in a super good mood. Why? What would give you the impression that I'm not in a good mood? <laughs> <laughs> well, you barked at me and yelled and screamed and a little bit of we, you know, we, we folks, you know, before we before we come on, yeah, I said, oh, what do you want to cover tonight? And I got like a five minute rant. I don't know. So I was like, uh, I felt like you know, I was like when I asked my wife, can I buy a guitar? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you. <laughs> So we had, um, uh, as we do with our Patreon supporters, we do kind of live chats uh, with uh, those who support us on Patreon at a certain level. So we just had uh, a cool, uh, like, what, we did, was that 30 minutes that we did? How long is that? Uh, it was actually a lot longer than that. Yeah, we, we did a little longer, right, with uh, uh, John Turnbull, was one of our great right. supporters. And so we did uh, chat with him. So Sean and I actually had the chance, I guess you could call it like pregame a little bit today. And he wanted to know what I wanted to talk about, and I, I, I kind of let him have it. But also, full disclosure, I haven't eaten in many hours, so <laughs> that might see, have some contributing factors. That's one cool thing about it. being a fat man. I've <laughs> never gone that many hours without eating. I, it's just something I refuse to. You know, it's just unhealthy. It's just something clearly I'm unhealthy, as you can see it's from clearly. my mental state. <laughs> while, while, <laughs> while we're like, what do you want to talk about? Because it was funny because normally we both have some ideas. Not And, and of course, when you guys give us suggestions on uh, the comments and the messages and stuff, that always gives us plenty of stuff to talk about. But we hadn't thought about any of that before today's episode. So Sean was like, what do you want to talk about? I don't really have any ideas. And I'm like, well, let me tell you. And then. I just like laid. I went full mad, mad king like Daenerys in episode seven of Game of Thrones, like just torching everything. It's kind of before funny. we before we get started. Actually, I do have something I want to talk about. Um, you know, everybody knows I'm obsessed with guitar, and in in talking to a buddy of mine, I you know I I've come to some realizations about guitar, and I'm going to bring this to martial arts soon. That like I'm never going to be a great guitar player. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I, I don't, but I don't care. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm getting slightly better. But I've come, to, you know, I'm 53 years old. I know, listen, I'm never going to be Eric Clapton. It's just not going to happen, you know. But I still do it anyway because it's fun. And I don't have this grand delusions in my head of one day being famous or even one day playing local bars. I'm just never going to be that good. And I don't have a voice for singing. So why keep on playing guitar? Because it's fun. 
I enjoy it. And you know, it's the same thing with Kung Fu with people. Like I, I've had conversations with people and they're like, you know, I'm thinking about quitting Kung Fu because I, I, uh, I just, I'm not going to be that good. I'm never going to be as good as my Sifu. Uh, I'm getting older. Uh, my timing sucks. Whatever the case may be. And, you know, and I said, well, why are you quitting? Well, I'm never going to be as good as my Sifu or my Seagull. And even my, you know, my, my Seahings are just so much better than me. I just can't do what they can do. I'm not as coordinated enough. Things to that effect. And I'm like, are you having a good time? And they're like, yeah, I'm having a great time. I love going there. I love the environment. I'm like, then why quit? Who cares if you're not going to be as good as other people? As long as you're doing something that's fun. Because, you know, we all work hard jobs. We all, we all do what we have to do to support ourselves and our families. Your spare time, your hobbies have to be fun, folks. Right. And if you're, if you're having a good time and you're enjoying the environment and you're enjoying the people and you're enjoying the product, if it's guitar playing or kung fu or softball in the park with your friends... Whatever it is, just keep on fucking doing it. Because that's what's important. It's important to have some fun and let loose some steam and enjoy yourself. Like, you, do you think I talk to Alex once a week because I like it? I'm like... <laughs> no, you do it clearly only for the external gratification of being a I famous podcaster. Clearly, just so I can have that fucked up cartoon attached to me that I look like this guy with just six chins. <laughs> I only have four. You know? It's like, really, think about things like that. You know, if you're having a good time, never give up. Just have fun. Don't worry about how good your classmates are doing. Don't worry about how good you're doing in regards to, like, your Sifu or your Seagong. Go and have fun. And that's all that matters. That's, I, just, I just got that little thing I want to talk about because I've had a couple of conversations with people recently and I, I, you know, just really for for, at home for me was playing guitar. I was, I I had just posted a video yesterday or the day before yesterday of me playing guitar and I got a lot of positive like feedback from it, one or two negatives and I'm like, you know what? And I realized I'm never going to be great but I'm having fun so it doesn't really matter. So, you know. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the issues with martial arts is that, um, you know, ultimately, any kind of martial art you do is really a journey for yourself. And people forget that because most martial arts uh, have some kind of trappings of some kind of external gratification, some kind of goal, whether it's a belt or a level or something like that. And it's really easy to get caught up in those kind of things. Like, for example, um, you know, people who do jujitsu, it's like the moment they start, the first thing they want to do is, when am I going to get my blue belt? And they always right. worry about that because they don't want to be walking around with the white belt as opposed to like just enjoying the journey and learning and not being worried about that kind of stuff. Because as you know, I have a lot of friends who, who do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I know a few instructors um, who teach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu quite famously. And they tell me how many people quit after they get their blue belt. Like that there's right. literally a sea of people who quit. Cause uh, for those of you who don't know, blue belt is essentially the first belt you earn in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You start as a white belt. And then you get your four stripes and then you earn your blue belt. And they just talk about the sea of people who quit. And it's so common. Actually, on my Instagram, there was a meme um, which was like, yo, your friend after he gets his blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it was like a photo of like a brown belt with a blue belt. And then the next photo, that guy had disappeared. <laughs> then, right, right, right. And, and, but, you know, you obviously have similar things in other martial arts for different levels and stuff. And while... External gratifications, like things like ranks and levels, those things are great, especially when you work really hard and you earn them and they mean something. But it's very important to understand that these are essentially kind of man-made benchmarks that really have nothing to do with what the martial art can do for you inside. And for some people, it's feeling confident. For some people, it's knowing that they can defend themselves or just doing some movement or whatever. But for a lot of people, like your guitar playing, it's really just about having a good time. I mean, we live in a relatively self safe society where it's not like you have to fight every single day to make it to work. You know, you don't have battles every day to get to your car and battles on the way back. So why are we doing martial arts? Because we like it. And the moment people forget that, that's kind of 
the moment people start to get anxiety about things that are essentially nothing more but man-made constructs that have no internal kind of real gratification these are just almost things you do for other people like have the fancy wedding because that's what people expect you to do but you're actually miserable with the person that you're with instead of trying to find the right person be happy and not worry about those external things right so right i mean i you used a phrase once on the show that i uh i, I liked it's just something like you you refer to the, the school as your third place right you know, and I, I like that. Like, you know, you have home, you have your job, and then you have that third place you go to, and that's your, your Kung Fu school. Right, right. And if you're enjoying that place, that's all that should matter. If you're looking forward to going there, who cares if you're at the same level for the longest time? Right, right. Like, like for me, I was... Looked in Punguan level forever. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna lie, it was forever, like fucking years, because I'm not that good at it. I like to tell people it's because I was heavily invested in learning it, but <laughs> quite frankly, it was more because I sucked at it. But I was having a good time, right? Right, I enjoy it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I Every time I pick up long pole, I feel like I'm in a kung fu movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, if I'm not doing great, it's not because I don't want to do great. I want to do great. But I just just didn't do great. You know what I mean? And it was, a, with the, it was the realization that who cares how great I'm doing? I'm having fun. Right, right. That's that's all that really matters. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's and, like, and also think about, and this is the the reason why people always have anxiety and they're ultimately never really happy. At some point in the beginning of your Wing Chun journey, you would have been so happy to be to at level one level. Right. Like you're like I'm at Siunam Tao level right now, right? So it's always this kind of. Uh, this kind of carrot in the stick that you never quite make it there, right? And then you also have to think about, you know, for, for Wing Chun standards, I mean, being locked in Bun Guan level, so to speak, means you essentially have just the knives to learn, which means you're kind of high up on the food chain, right? And then to have anxiety, and I'm not saying that's the case with you, but just saying like people in general who like, they get there and they're like, when am I going to learn the next thing, right? And, and instead of enjoying the ride and understanding like, you know, you are further now than you were when you started and that that is progress. And, and you know, by the way, earlier you said that you don't you don't see yourself playing in like bars and stuff like that. And, and you said you don't have a singing voice. But I do want to say you absolutely have a face for podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you're such a dick. <laughs> I mean, 100%, one of the best faces for podcasting ever. So, you know, oh, just want to let you know that. You know, it's just because you got that girlish good looks, you know. It's, just, <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's like he's the only guy I know, folks, that like, has to do his hair and pluck his eyebrows before we do the FM podcast. It's it's just it's ridiculous. How do you know? Do you have video cameras in here? How do you how do you have all this information on me? I don't understand. Because look at you. You're you're. You look like a girl. It's like well, I, I have I mean, a beard. I have a beard. How do I, I look an like ugly a girl? girl. I mean, it's an ugly girl, but it's a girl nonetheless. <laughs> and what I mean by a girl, meaning that like you just look like, like you look prepared. Like you look like, I don't know, like pretty. It's prepared. like prepared. It's, it's so just like I put. I, I, I get up in the morning. F- I, I I I push my hair back like this. I put glasses on and I oh, leave. Oh, gag me. You got more product in your hair than a fucking hooker, man. It's amazing. <laughs> you got so much product in your hair. It's so. I feel like, oh, I, listen, need, I, feel Alex, like I need to come here with a lawyer to defend myself against that. these accusations. <laughs> your Honor, I resemble that remark. <laughs> oh God, man. Yeah. So what else is going on in your life? What's uh, what's new and exciting in the world of Alex Richter? Well, uh, like I mentioned last time, I'm uh, working on finishing that Chum Q book, and, and I'm into the final edits right now, and super happy that I was able to put that thing together so quickly. And, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of excited about this book because, um, you well, know. Well, I'm excited too because I can't wait to 
I can teach from it then. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Hey, I'll tell you what. I've been told by so many students who didn't want to rat out their Sifu that they bought my book and their Sifu was using it as like for teaching material. Suddenly the Sifu would come one day and give a lecture on stuff that was straight out of my book. But like so I, I've, I've gotten this note many times. It was really funny. But, you know, I don't I don't really mind that. Sometimes Sifus get really covetous about like, oh, they don't want people to steal their information and look. Oh, they, you don't want people to steal your information. Don't put it in a fucking book. Exactly. And I'm like, you know what? If it makes other people better or it spurs them to think a little bit differently about something they do, then I think I've done my job. And I'm, I'm trying to write a book like the one I wish existed when I was learning whatever the topic of the book is. So now this book is Chum Q and I'm thinking like, what are the things that I wish I would have known when I started learning Chum Q besides just the form and stuff. So like background and context and different ideas in there. So um, it's, it's really a very different book from all the WT predecessors. It's also very different from um, Sifu Learning Ting's Chum Q book. Uh, I don't mean to brag, but you know, Sifu Learning Ting's book is like, well, it's like a hundred and something pages. Mine's like 276 pages, larger format. But yeah, you know, it's not about size. It's about what's in the book that matters. So, um, I, yeah. Holy so, shit. <laughs> it's like we're in a pissing contest well, here. You know, what's funny. I, I'm not going to say that's who, not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. Oh. I'm not going to say who it was, but there was a, a, a Wing Chun person once at my school, uh, from a different lineage. And it was around the time my first book, the Siunam Tao book came out, which is like 220 some odd pages. And the student looked at the book, the student from another lineage and said, wow, I didn't know somebody could write so much about the Siunam Tao. And I was just kind of thinking like, like you have no idea how much I pared down to make it like a readable book. Because if I was thinking like uh, all my companion books are going to be about two from 220 to 270 pages for each of the forms and stuff. Right. But if we if I actually wrote an unrestricted book where I just put everything down that I knew and cared about and thought was important, the companion books like the Siunam Tao book would be 700 pages. Oh my, exactly. The Chum Q book would be 500 pages. Buji would be 300. Wooden Dummy would be 250. And not because my knowledge of those things isn't greater, but that's kind of its relevance to the entire system in terms of how important these things really are and how much depth there is in the first form that goes completely unnoticed when people just kind of learn the choreography real quick and go, okay, I know Siunam Tao, what's the next thing, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, like, to think, like, that writing a 220-page book on the Siunam Tao means that I wrote a lot. I mean, I look at that book now and I go, man, uh, I should have put this in there, I should have put that in there, and, and, you know, at some point you just have to make a choice and edit stuff. Well, I mean, you you. Did you ever think about going back and doing a version two of your book? Or Well, I'm going to have to because, as I mentioned in the previous show, my the first iteration of that book got totally nuked by the guy who nuked my Chumkew book, which I'm now oh, right, rebuilding. Right, right. So I have the text for my Siunam Tao book and all the photos, but I actually don't have the file to um, to edit it anymore. So right, when right. I do, I'm going to do the Chumkew book, then I'm going to do Buji, Wooden Dummy, and then I'm going to do a book called Wing Chun 101, which is like for brand new people to Wing Chun, tells them all about it. And then I'm going to reissue my Siunam Tao book in the new format. So when I do that, I'll also like revise the text and add some new stuff in there and things like that. So yeah. Now, what about um, core principles and strategies that maybe don't fall within like one form. Like, the, like so th that is what my like Wing Chun fight. 101 book is going to be about. It's going to be oh, about okay. the principles, timing, fighting, how Wing Chun works, oh, the training excellent. system. Excellent. It's going to be kind of like if somebody has never heard of Wing Chun before, you hand them that book. And it'll have all the superficial stuff like about the history and the forms and the fighting style. And then it'll have in the back of the book is all deep dives into timing and fighting and how does Wing Chun – apply in the modern day and how does it apply in self-defense and you know what what are the adjustments that had to be made so wing chun 101 is probably going to be actually thicker than all of the form books so but it's right. going to be part of the same five book series and that's why it's coming out last because it's actually even though it's the first book in the series it's the most robust so right. um i'll i'll i'll, I'll release because people always say why is my siunam tao companion book two and I go, because Wing Chun 101 is going to be the first companion book, but it'll be the last one that comes out because it'll be <laughs> it'll be the big final work. And then I'm also doing a Chi Sao Fundamentals book 
and I'll do a aspiring book. And then um, my eighth book will be the my not my biography, because I think it's kind of I, th I think it's a bit arrogant to write a biography of yourself especially when your career is hopefully not nearly done um but so you're gonna I, pay I, someone to do it or? no i'm going to i'm gonna it's gonna be more like my memoirs about my time learning from sifu learning Tang, my time in germany all the crazy stuff that's happened to me in new york like a really entertaining fun book about you know some of the things i've talked about on the podcast like it's gonna be very light-hearted and talk about what it was like to be in such a big Wing Chun association and, and why I had to change and, and my relationships with other Sifus and stuff. So I think it's going to be a fun book. And, and that, that book is going to be called Loyal Idiots, <laughs> which is a, obviously a take on royal idiots. And uh, we'll explain a little bit about why, you know, um, even, even thinking supposedly erudite, intelligent people like me can stay stuck in a really bad situation like my former association for a very long time out of loyalty. So kind of explain that and put it into a larger context. So um, I've been compiling that book for years. Every time something crazy happens at my school, I write that story down. It's going to go in the Loyal Idiot book, like the time the ninja showed up to my school or the time the Tai Chi guy claimed that, you know, he stopped doing Tai Chi because he could fly and he was afraid of going near airports because he didn't want to fly and hit a plane by accident. Like just all this stuff <laughs> that you wouldn't believe, like like stuff that really happened to me. I just think this stuff needs to be put in the book because it's just funny as hell. And uh, I, I want to share kind of a lighthearted side of doing Kung Fu because I think um, Kung Fu is often presented in such a kind of dry, somewhat angry, snarky kind of way because all the different factions are always fighting each other. So books are always written very defensively against the other of whatever style you're teaching. And so I just feel like it, it, it just kind of to take the stick out of Kung Fu's ass and write a book in, in that voice might be kind of a nice change. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, uh, that, I'm looking forward to that. That should be funny. Yeah, I think so, too. Hey, did you hear another Wing Chun guy bit the dust, fought that Chinese MMA guy? <laughs> did you see that? I did not. I am not up on any of that crap, Yeah, so, man. I mean, the, I, I never follow that stuff. It just always shows up in my feed. So, Xu Xiaodong, who's the, you know, uh, Chinese MMA guy who's who challenged the Tai Chi guy very famously right. and was fighting a bunch of... Uh, traditional martial artists uh so he's already beaten up a couple wing chun guys already but these are always wing chun guys that no one has ever heard of and these are always wing chun guys that he outweighs by like according to it by 50 kilos okay 50 kilos all right which means we're like talking about like a very lightweight person fighting a very heavyweight person so i wonder now look we've discussed it before i'm all for these kung fu guys getting their asses kicked when they're full of shit when they think that they can hit somebody and the last wing chun guy that he beat so embarrassingly claims that he's from the yip man lineage which is of course ugh. of course people see that and think it has something to do with real yip man wing chun of course no one's ever heard of this guy he's from mainland china so how this guy from mainland china is like a legit yip man wing chun guy is beyond me but he doesn't even do orthodox yip man wing chun he does Drum roll, pressure point Wing Chun, oh, which God. is like, oh, so we know how this thing is going to go. And I mean, that just got, that guy just got slaughtered by by Xu Xiaodong, who showed up to the fight wearing clown makeup because apparently now he's getting a lot of heat from the Chinese government, which is not happy with him damaging the reputation of traditional Chinese martial artists. And they're apparently like pressing legal action against him where he's got to pay fines. So he's actually disguising himself so that it cannot be proven that it's actually him. Now, I'm all for these Kung Fu guys who really live in a delusional world thinking that they're going to go in the ring with a trained MMA fighter having no MMA experience and just apply their standard normal Wing Chun that they practice in their school and win. But I, I still kind of wonder why Xu Xiaodong doesn't pick an opponent who's his same size if you look at all the guys he's fought i mean we're really looking at someone who's like a light heavyweight fighting like lightweights and so not only are these guys like delusional pajama toting kung fu guys but they're also way smaller than him even if they had the same skill set he has they wouldn't beat him and i'm not trying to be an apologist for these guys i just go like how proud can you be to be the MMA guy who's beating a bunch of dudes who weigh half as much as you who don't have any professional fighting experience. It seems a little... Ugh, I think. But, this, if he, but if he fought guys his own size, he may lose. 
Yeah, and and the word is that as a because he they, he's considered a semi professional MMA fighter that he's apparently kind of a, a half ass MMA fighter, but and maybe and maybe that's always been his angle. Maybe he he and he's also I mean he's also old for an MMA. I mean he's like forty years old, right? So he's a little over the hill for fighting MMA. He might not be the best. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So what does he do? He starts challenging these guys who he knows have no real fighting experience. Because let's face it. Somebody could be the king of push hands in Tai Chi. Right. That doesn't mean that they've ever thrown a punch at somebody a day in their lives. And uh, so I think it's clearly a spectacle, but I think it's starting to run dry. It's like, so what no-name kung fu guy who weighs half as much as him is he going to beat up next, and who's going to even care? Yeah, I mean, I I stopped caring for a long time ago. I just, I mean, I probably should pay attention to it just for the podcast and yeah, stuff. Yeah, But... I, I, I don't know why it's like I just and then I'm, it's on my feeds too but I just kind of scroll past that stuff I don't yeah. know why I don't either except that I it, it just I, I seem to get it from so many fronts and then also the problem with running a martial arts school and um, having a lot of students is every day 10 students will send me the same clip so right, like sure. that's kind of my life you know and like what's funny is I have some students they're very well-intentioned and they're like and they don't realize that between my instagram feed my facebook feed my twitter and what shows up on my youtube um i see everything when it comes i mean i don't always watch the actual video but i i, I didn't watch the wing chun video but i saw the i read the article and 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 read that because i know what's going to happen i don't need to watch the video but it's always kind of cute when i'll have students send me that stuff like two weeks after it happens I'm like, hey, Sibu, have you seen this? And I'm like, oh, come on. (laughs) Like, that's that's so old already, man. That's old news. Um, And and so it's interesting because I I, I can't really avoid that stuff if I wanted to because it's just, hey, Sibu, did you see this? Hey, Sibu, did you see this? And so it's kind of thrown in my face on a regular basis. Yeah, I know. You know, it's it's all well-intentioned, though. You know, that's. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, it is. I mean, for the podcast and in in general, I mean, if this is the stuff that my students are watching, I need to make sure that these are things that I address in training, make sure that my students understand that, you know, the fact that you're learning to defend yourself against punches and kicks and grabs and stuff doesn't mean you can step in the ring and fight with a professional. Right. Right. So, you know, having a very clear understanding of what their skills are and what they're learning and what the limits are and 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 not getting into this kind of weird, um, very dichotomous like. Oh, this guy is attacking Wing Chun, and now we need as Wing Chun people to defend Wing Chun. I go, well, I haven't seen him fight anybody who does who does Wing Chun that I've ever even heard of. And as far as I'm concerned, all of those people that he beat down deserved it because they showed up with the very delusional idea that they were going to beat him, and they deserve to get their ass kicked. They need to learn a lesson, and so I'm I'm not upset about that. I don't take it as a hit on Wing Chun. I take it as a bunch of no-names from China got their ass kicked against a semi-professional fighter. And so uh, I, I don't even – this is not even headline news. Semi-professional fighter beats much smaller amateur is literally the headline of all of those should read. And right, so th- exactly th- right. this is like, okay, go ahead and alert the New York Times. Like, wow, this is, this is hardly something uh, interesting, you know? No, totally right. I mean, and I, I don't think people realize – I know people don't realize – Especially kung fu people, the amount of damage that a that a trained fighter can do to you, right? Whether you know, when I say trained fighter, I mean uh, a combat athlete. You know, um, kung fu is great. I love kung fu. I love Wing Chun. Taking nothing away from Wing Chun or kung fu. Combat athletes, combat athletics, is a different situation, right? Absolutely. It's trained differently. There's more to Kung Fu than combat athletics. And I think people have to come to terms that you're learning more in a Kung Fu school. Sorry, hold on. Feedback. Sorry, hold on. Go on. You're learning more in a Kung Fu school than just Kung Fu. Right. And combat athletics be it boxing, wrestling, MMA, it's about the fighting. Yes. And the training methodology is usually more direct. There's less of the 
other intangibles that you find in a Kung Fu school in these gyms. So, and I think because of that, it leads to combat athletes being more prepared to exchange punches with the average guy than a lot of Kung Fu people. Yes, for sure. And, I've, and I, I know I've upset some Kung Fu people in the past. And when I say Kung Fu people, I'm not, you know, I mean, I mean martial artists in general. I'm saying Kung Fu because... Or traditional of, martial artists. Right, traditional martial artists. They're like, if we're going to look at um, black belts in a traditional martial arts school as not the highest level that a person could reach in that art, but someone who is, you know, more than competent in the art. I really think if you took the average guy doing any traditional martial art for three years and put them against a guy who's training in a boxing gym for three years or a wrestler for three years, combat athletes going to do more damage, at least right away, in most situations. I'm not talking about old schools. But the guy training in the Kung Fu school, I believe, is getting more out of the school than the combat athletes getting out of their gym. I believe there's more to Kung Fu than fighting. Now, that may not be the most popular opinion. People think, you know, I think people romanticize Kung Fu as this, um, you know, walking around beating the shit out of people. I think there's more to Kung Fu than that. I think there's more to Kung Fu schools than that. When I look at pictures of Alex's school and the camaraderie and the smiles on the face and, and the fun and, and, and getting to, you know, hang out with your seniors and your juniors and your sifus and your sigong, there's more to that than there is to just sweating a lot till you throw up. Sure. You know, so while I will say a combat athlete will get more competent faster than a person in a Kung Fu school, I'll choose the Kung Fu school every day because I want the whole package. Right. I want to enjoy everything about it. And and I don't want to miss out on things. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, Alex, I mean, you, you got to feel like your school is more than just fighting, right? I mean, absolutely. And I mean, even, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, I, I teach adult professionals in Manhattan. So these are not necessarily people who want to show up to work with a black eye uh, or, you know, want to bust, bust each other in the face constantly because these are professionals. They can't do stuff like that. And um, also, I have a lot of people who formerly boxed or wrestled and did stuff like that, and now they're older, and they realize that they cannot continue to do that, and they want something that gives them, yeah, like you said, something a little bit more, like, uh, you know, an idea, a philosophy, a third place, somewhere to go, and, and something to, to, you know, skills to gain and grow and, and feel that this is not something that they can only do for an extremely limited part of their life, you know? And um, Wing Chun is perfect for that because, one, it's not as taxing on the body anyway. So, I mean, I got a bunch of old boxers and wrestlers who train with me who have all sorts of horrific injuries from boxing and wrestling. But, you know, they can still learn Wing Chun, right? They can still do it. And sometimes we have to modify things for them a little bit because they have some impingements and stuff like that. But for the most part, um, you know, it becomes something that they find really enjoyable. And for me, that's the most important thing. Like we talked about at the top of the podcast that – People come and they enjoy themselves. They, they like the atmosphere. They feel that they're learning something worthwhile. They feel that they're working towards goals incrementally. And it's mentally stimulating for adults. Um, and this is, this is the best thing. Any good martial arts school would do that too. I know Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools that are also taught in a very kind of systematic and step-by-step -step way, not with the idea of ripping each other limb from limb. And I also know jiu-jitsu schools that are like basic fight clubs. And I can tell you what the clientele is of each of those. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm, I'm much more for, you know, adult professionals who want to come and, and have a meaningful hobby in their spare time than have a bunch of fighters. In the early days of my school, I was super concerned with having lots of fighters 
in like lots of Wing Chun fighters, partially because Sifu Leung Ting was very big that, you know, in that very Chinese way, you know, when you start teaching, the first generation is always fighters because that's the one you build your reputation with or whatever. And so I had a lot of pressure from him on that to kind of build up a bunch of guys who are like kind of bruisers just in case someone, you know, so I had people right. to represent the school and stuff like that. Right. And so I really followed his advice, like to a T, like an idiot. <laughs> and what happened was I had a bunch of students who were like the same type of people that I would teach today, like, you know, bright, intelligent um, and, you know, love the art. And I had a bunch of mm, mouth breathers in my school, too who were just there and only wanted to fight. And every class was just, you know, if they didn't leave with a bloody nose, it wasn't really training. And, right. and, and so I had to kind of separate the two things. I had like my fighter classes and my regular classes. And that also didn't really work. And I realized at some point I had a school full of meatheads. And it wasn't good when people came to my school who are lacking self-confidence. And those are the people who need Kung Fu the most. People who are afraid of their own shadow. They're afraid of asking their boss for a raise. It's not just about being afraid of an opponent on the street. It's like not having the confidence to get out of a relationship that's not good for you, right? It's like, right, right, that's what absolutely. we mean, right? And, 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 and the people who lack that kind of confidence are the people who can benefit from martial arts training the most. And when somebody like that Think about it like when they come to my school, and I, I think I made this point before, they have to walk up four flights of stairs. You've, you've made that walk up to my school. Now, you're making that walk to my school knowing that it's my school. You know me. You know that it's going to be great when you get up there. But imagine you're lacking a little bit of self-confidence. You don't know my school from any other school down the block. You're hoping this might be the right place for you to go. And now you're walking up those stairs. And like right. with every flight of stairs, it's like, is this something I really want to do? Is this something I can do? Right. Sure. And then you finally make it up there, which is like walking up the hills to get to Shaolin. You walk into the school and there's a bunch of meathead dudes in there with mouthpieces punching each other in the face. And they all turn their heads and look at you because you just walked in the door. Now, is that right. is is that going to be a sustainable business? And is that going to be what I want people to feel when they walk into my school for the first time. And there was a time period, maybe 12 years ago, where my school was kind of like that. And I had a right. lot of students because I was happy to teach in that kind of way. But after a while, I was just surrounded by a bunch of students that I eventually had to get rid of because they were just really, to use a very 2019 word, they were kind of toxic. They were toxic for the atmosphere of the school and they were toxic for new people coming in who needed what I had to give more than they did. So right. I had to make some some tough choices and, and get rid of some people. And now my school is the way I want it. I got my, my students are not just my Kung Fu family. They're my friends. They're my social circle. And I love them to death. And um, I, I wasn't always able to say that about all my students 10 years ago. I had tons of students I loved to death. And I had a bunch of students in my school where I'm like, yeah, they're helping me get by. I mean, they're, they, you know, and, and it was the wrong attitude. Um, I, sure. I, I um, you know, taught a bunch of very violent people how to be violent with a very violent expression of Wing Chun. And that was a mistake. And um, I stopped doing that about 10 years ago. And that made all the difference in the world. So, um, yeah, it's a much better place now. And atmospheres, I, I, I will kick somebody out of my school if I feel that they're going to ruin the atmosphere. And I will tell somebody they cannot join my school if I feel that they're going to ruin the atmosphere. And it's just attitude. It's not about, uh, you know, a disposition. There are people who are introverted. That's fine. But if somebody comes to my school and I feel like I'll just get rid of them. I just I went through all that already. I'm not going to go through it again. Yeah, when I look at pictures of, of, a, of a school or a gym, I, I really want to feel welcome there. I want to feel like I want to feel like my third place. I'm safe. I'm at home there. Right. And, I, you know, I mean, I, I break Alex's chops a lot. But when it comes to his school, if you follow Alex's social media, you can't not want to join his school. You know what I mean? It's like you can't not want to join. It's it just looks like a great place to be, you know. And when I, and you don't see, I've been up there and I've met a lot of the students, and they're just you know awesome dynamite people. Um, 
And I've been in some gym, real fighters gyms, you know, and some were great places to be. And some were just not. And I would rather have a safer, enjoyable atmosphere where I feel comfortable being who I am as a person. I'd rather have that instead of having, well, they're going to turn me into a killer in, in, in 120 days. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, because and, and people listen to that and they're like, wait, are you trying to say that that's better for fighting than, than my Wing Chun that I've been doing? And I'm like, no, I'm saying that that's lacking something. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe if your whole life is fighting, maybe that's the place for you. But that's not how that's not what I want out of life. Right, right. I enjoy happiness. I I you know what I mean? I people say, Oh sure, and you're funny. Right, because I like seeing people laugh. Sure. Fucking kill me. But you know what? When I see a guy, when I say something and I see someone laugh or smile, it makes me feel good. Right. right. It's a selfish feeling sure. to make people laugh. And that's the kind of people that's like I that's what I want to be around. I want to be around people that are having a good time. Yeah. That are in a safe environment. Right, right. That you know, and everybody's welcome and yeah. And, and you know, they don't care how, you know, different you are or you know, in today's day and age with uh, you know, people's uh, whatever, you know, they everybody feels like they're the outcast in society. Right, right. And and I like I I would like a school of inclusion. As opposed to a school of meatheads who could turn me into a killer in 120 right. days. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I'm not saying that that's not needed in the world. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a bad thing. I'm just saying for me as a person, yeah. that's not where I want to be. Sure, sure. Not after working all day, then going home, paying my bills. And and I don't want my third place to be a place where it's like, oh, fuck. If I don't keep my hands up, these guys are going to punch the shit out of me tonight. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's actually interesting when when I talk about like kind of how the dynamic of my school changed from that. You know, when I first started, I was really concerned about training a bunch of fighters and stuff like that. And that's because I didn't I never really told you this. But when when I started teaching Wing Chun in New York, I, I wasn't greeted very warmly by the Wing Chun community. And part of the reason was because at that time. You know, I was the new representative for Leung Ting at that time. I was still in his association. And uh, Leung Ting, among many other uh, many other things, you know, in certain circles, has a reputation for being a bit of a troublemaker and has roused trouble with other Wing Chun people in the past, including in New York. And so um, none of that had anything to do with me. I mean, I just enjoyed learning Wing Chun and I liked Leung Ting Wing Chun and I learned it full time in a castle in Germany and came back to New York and opened my school. And at that time, I was the new representative for Leung Ting Wing Chun in New York because the previous representative was no longer part of Leung Ting's association. He went to follow Emin um, Bostepe, who had who had also left. And then so I was the new the quote unquote new Leung Ting guy. Right. And when I came to New York, I was like, you know, very green. Uh, I was instructor level, but still very green. And I started renting spaces and teaching before I got my own space. And the so-called Wing Chun community in New York, I wish I still had that old email account. I got on a regular weekly basis, I got death threats from other Wing Chun people in New York City. Of course, these were all people who sent, they sent them anonymously, right? But as like arbiters of whatever school they were part of. And I had gotten challenge threats. Oh, I'm going to show up to your school and, you know, beat you up in front of your students. And, you know, they were people who wanted to revenge on me for the whole, uh, you know, Emin Bostepe, William Chung thing, which I had nothing to do. I was I was nine years old in 1986 and I wanted to be a ninja. All right. When that stuff happened. Right. And I did not join WT because of that incident. And suddenly here I am teaching. And now people, you know, they want to show up to my school and fight me because of things that happened two decades before. And and that was how I was greeted. And I was not warmly greeted at all by the Wing Chun community, which, quite frankly, didn't I didn't care because I had enough to do teaching my own school. But there was a famous Wing Chun Sivu who used to have a school in New York City. Um, he used to have a school like a brick and mortar school like me um, down near Chelsea. And. I never met that Sivu before, but I knew who he was from the internet. I had seen his website. 
And I was walking down the street in Chinatown and he saw me and I saw him. And I wanted to go up to him and say hi to him, you know, because he was a Sifu who had been teaching in New York for many years. And he just stared at me like, I know who you are. You're that guy. Don't come near me. I'm super, you know, cool Wing Chun guy or whatever. Right. And he just gave me this real nasty vibe with his look. And I just turned and walked the other way. And other Wing Chun people legitimately sent their students to my school to challenge me. And that's how I was greeted because I inherited some of the so-called sins of the father by being in the Leung Ting organization. And anyone who's ever met me knows that I'm not about that. I'm just about teaching my students to the best of my abilities. And, and I don't care about any of that stuff. Fast forward, most of these Wing Chun schools who were threatening me back then, they're all closed. They're all gone. But their students are still kind of floating around the ether in New York, the remnants of these things, right? And now I have a two-floor school in Midtown Manhattan. And it's kind of me and Sifu William Kwok are the only guys with real Wing Chun schools. And Sifu William Kwok is a good friend of mine. So even the two guys who have legit Wing Chun schools in New York are friends with each other. And, you know, William Moy, Moyat Sun, I met him before, super cool. Miguel Hernandez, we're all really cool with each other, right? And now there's these like Wing Chun people floating in the ether that suddenly are my brothers. <laughs> They're like, hey, brother, we should we should meet up and train together. And I know who a lot of these people are. And I'm pretty sure that some of them were even the ones who anonymously challenged me back in the days when when I was a nobody. And now that I'm established and they don't have a place to train, it seems everyone is suddenly my brother. And you know what it means to be someone's brother? It means they want to learn from you for free or they just want to train with you because they and I find this really weird. I don't know if you can follow my logic here, Sean. It's like somebody Well, use small words because, you know, Okay, somebody obviously sees that you have something of worth to offer because either you have a successful school, you have a lot of students or you have a podcast about Kung Fu and or you write articles for Wing Chun Illustrated. Right. So they go like, wow, this guy must know something. Maybe I should go to this person because I could learn something. So normally you would come out of this place of like humility where you want to like come and join, which is what I do every time I go to Hong Kong and there's somebody over there who's way more experienced. I go to them with absolute humility and don't go, oh, I'm this guy, you know, you should teach me because I'm your bro, right? Can you imagine if I go to Chan Chi Man and be like, yo, we're Wing Chun brothers, right? right. So like, <laughs> why don't you show me your Bacham Do form, right? Because like, you know, I also know a Bacham Do form. Like I couldn't imagine even having a thought about talking to somebody that senior and that established in that kind of way. But uh, people in New York apparently don't have qualms about that. And so they kind of see that I have something of value that they want, but they don't want to actually come to me and learn as a student. They want to paradoxically elevate themselves to my colleague because they've been doing Wing Chun for a long time, even though they don't have a school, they don't have students, no one's ever heard of them. But now they're like my colleague. They're like my bro. And they want to train with me, which means... They want to put themselves on the same level. And maybe they are the same level, but if they talk to me like that, I'm not even going to entertain them. Um, and they want to learn. And and I just find this is like a really weird attitude. And I go, where were all my brothers when I started teaching? I was getting death threats in all caps by email on a weekly basis from Wing Chun people from Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey just because I existed. And now everyone is my brother. It's like, I, I, I don't know how this happened. And look, I'm all for being friendly. Anyone who's ever met me knows that I'm friendly. But I just find it's a little odd when people come out of the woodworks and suddenly they're my colleague who I've never heard of. And they want to learn from me, but they don't want to learn from me. They just want to be my sparring buddy as if I'm as if I'm lacking those or something like that. Right. So um, anyway, I just think it's just kind of weird. I feel that this this term brother, when it's used real when it's used honestly is beautiful like sean i consider you my brother i mean like you you are that for me oh, like fuck. I'm so what do you want now alex <laughs> okay teach teach me guitar sean but i don't i don't want to pay just teach me <laughs> teach me guitar sean because you're my brother right i've seen a guitar once so we're like guitar brothers right so um i've seen some people play guitar on videos and stuff so we're guitar brothers sean just teach me right but i mean really like you know there are very few people whom I right. really consider, they're like my brothers. Like it's you, it's Dr. Mark Chang, 
It's uh, Kenneth J., a small handful of people, Özhan in Germany, like a very select handful of people where I say, that person is really my brother and, and, I, and, and I would really feel that way. And the term is so loosely bantied about by other people who do Wing Chun, but they use it to almost create a level playing field when none exists. I would never call somebody more senior than me or more established than me, my brother, if I had never exchanged 10 words with them. But these people have never exchanged 10 words with me and they're like, oh, we're brothers. And I go, maybe, maybe we could be, but right now we're not. And I think you're just trying to, you know, learn some bong sao for free. <laughs> like and, and and so I, I, I just find it I just find it really cheap. I would never ever do this to somebody else. And and you know, people need to take these terms a little bit more seriously. Not everyone who does Wing Chun is your best friend. And I, I and I remember that. I, I remember I wish I, I have a different email now. I really should have saved that email because that would be great for my book, my loyal idiot book. The emails were so angry and they were so incessant, especially when I didn't answer them. They would like come daily about how they were going to show up on what day with a video camera and like beat me up. It was it was insane. And I didn't know if these people meant it or not. But uh, anyway, you nobody, you, no one you, ever did. You it. don't have the emails now, right? No, I don't. I, I had like I had a, a, a like a private email server back then. And then when I got Gmail, I just like got rid of all the <laughs> other stuff. Right. But that was very stupid. It was very short sighted to me because I also had some just I also had an email from Jesse Glover that he had written to me oh, on that. Old e- and and now I think about it and it's just like, oh, I really wish I had kept that. He also had like, an, I don't know if you know, but he had like an obnoxious email address. The, yep. the late Jesse Glover, who was Bruce Lee's student, or something it was like I and like a bunch of random numbers, and it was like yeah, this thing, sure. and like, and I remember that I had um, gotten, in, I had gotten his email address somehow, and I exchanged some emails with him, and he answered me. He was very sweet, and uh, he also my Sivu Keith Kanspect had also learned from him in the late seventies. So we we talked a little bit about that, and it was beautiful. And that was on that old one. So yeah, I really lost a lot. I should have I should have kept it, but you know it is what I it actually, is. Actually, I I for a long time I had um, I had a, I had an awesome email exchange with Linda Lee. Oh really? And uh, it went on for the longest time, and uh, she was so sweet to me, and. Um, and that's gone. That was on, uh, on an email server I don't have anymore. Yeah, yeah. And and it just like it just. I remember when I got rid of the email address and and I got just forgotten that I had had that email on there. Right, you know. Right. And I was like, oh shit, I'm never gonna read that again. And that was. Yeah, I also on the same email server I had another email. You probably know. You know. Do you remember who Larry Hartzell was? Of course, Larry. Yeah. I know Larry Hartzell. So, um, when I was when I was a teenager and I started to learn Wing Chun in Seattle, I was such a fanatic. I would go to the different Wing Chun schools and show up and like you know, I I, I was the person that I now detest, right? So, um, I would take intro lessons and and a couple lessons with different Wing Chun sifus to see which one was better. But at that time, I was training non classical Wing Chun through the James DeMille line, and so most of the traditional Wing Chun people that I stuck hands with. They really didn't feel like much to me because that Jesse, uh, sorry, that James DeMille style was very like heavy forward pressure, and most right. of those guys couldn't really hack it. So I was like, all right, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing here. And then at the local community college in in Bellevue, Washington, there was an advertisement in the continuing education courses for a Jeet Kune Do class, and I was go. like. Oh, I totally want to do this and said like, yeah, come and do trapping hands and this thing, that thing. I was like, oh, and I signed up for this like summer continuing education Jeet Kune Do course when I was like 16 or 17. Right. And I show up in the instructor there. I don't remember his name was me. Uh, yeah, I would have remembered that if it was you. Um, I showed up and he had like a bunch of students. There. And what was kind of nice is the class was so random and so unstructured and i was used to a relatively structured kind of james demile style of training and um because my sifu had learned from james demile at some point and they taught in a very structured way so anyway the guy would show like some drills like some you know who bud bud stuff or whatever right and that was the first time i had seen all that stuff and i just i did all those things and then they would show some like kali empty hand stuff and then and then some like wing chun trapping and then like at the end of class, we would just put on gloves and spar. 
right? Like Jeet Kune Do style, right? And I and I loved it as a teenager. It was like so up my alley. We just had gloves, put a mouthpiece, and we're smacking the shit out of each other and punching and throwing jabs. And and I and I had a chance to use a lot of my non-classical Wing Chun, and and it was actually nice because that was when I first really tested it against people who were resisting, and I really learned a lot from that. But I started to suspect after a while that the instructor was not as credentialed as I thought he was. Like, I was, it's like after a while, I wasn't showing up because of what he was teaching. I was showing up because we always sparred and I got to spar with different people. That guy was a wrestler, that guy was a boxer. Right, that guy yeah, was just, sure. And so it was just like, all right, whatever. So I was just doing the sparring. But I suspected the instructor was maybe not that credentialed. And he claimed that he had a certificate from Larry Hartzell. Uh, among other people, I'm sure he had, you know, right. a lot of Jeet Kune Do people have kind of multiple certificates. And so anyway, I found Larry Hartzell's email. And this is in like kind of this is in the late 90s. So it's not the Internet like kids know it nowadays. Yeah. So like finding an email address was like finding a phone number of right, somebody sure. in another state. Right. So I found Larry Hartzell's email somehow. And I sent him an email and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, Sifu Hartzell, like, uh, uh, you know, I, I I had his books and stuff like I love your yeah. your Jeet Kune Do tra- trapping into grappling books. You know, I'm a big fan. Uh, I just, you know, want to say I, I've been taking this course from this guy who claims he has a certificate from you. And I'm not 100 percent sure, like if this guy's really legit. And he wrote me back and Larry Hartzell. I, I, and again, I don't have the email now, so I'm paraphrasing an email that's maybe 25 years old, 20 years old now. And he was like, no, this guy is certified by me, um, but if you feel that he's not qualified, please let me know what is he doing that is making you feel he's not unqualified. I want to know. And because if this guy is representing me, it's very important that he represents me well. So he wanted to know, like, what had happened in the class, right, what were right, my observations. Right. And I just remember, like, thinking, like, you know, Larry Hartzell started back in the days when Bruce Lee was still alive. He's yeah. been around and because and, I knew his biography. And I and I'm a nobody. I'm like a 16, 17 year old kid. And he was concerned about what I had written to him. And I didn't write it to be like a complainer. I just wanted to know. But I I thought that that was, uh, you know, I never met him. And and, and for people who don't know, Larry Hartzell eventually passed away. I never had a chance to meet him. But I know in the Jeet Kune Do community, he was very well liked. And I remember that um, from that brief email exchange, even though I never met him, that had a huge impression on me as a martial arts teacher later. And I still think about that from time to time, um, especially if people complain to me about other WT instructors who maybe I knew or I'm colleagues with. That idea of, of not like immediately getting defensive because it's my family and going like, well, well what, what did they do that made you upset? Like, why do you feel that way? Right. And, and I have to say, I do that now. Because of that one email from Larry Hartzell, like like oh, cool. so many years ago, really, really changed uh, a big paradigm for me. And I really wish I had a chance to meet him because I, you know, especially knowing what I know now, I mean, I would absolutely thank him. I mean, I thought it was an it was an absolute testament to that that man as a human being. So well, that's awesome. Yeah. dude. that's awesome. Uh, so I, I think it's a lot of fun, man. I think uh, I think we're going to call it a uh, uh, call it a wrap. Sounds good, man. And uh, we will see you next week. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sean is a face for podcasting. Bye-bye. Fuck you. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com slash support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. 
A great way to support The Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!